Arizona's sports station. The Rundown Reload. Rundown Reload. It is the Rundown April 20th edition of 2020. Luke Lipinski here. Michaela Perkins producing as always. Hope everybody had a pretty good weekend. we got the NFL draft coming up on Thursday, which... Look, we've been talking about sports. There's been stuff coming up here over the last couple weeks, but the NFL draft on Thursday, it's going to look different, obviously, with them doing it remotely and virtually. But uh, but this, I mean, this is a real sporting event at this point, and the NFL draft has become so big over the last even five years, but certainly over the, the previous 10 to that or whatever, it's, it's just gotten bigger and bigger and bigger. And this is a thing where I mean, this is going to determine the the direction of a lot of franchises around the NFL the Cardinals included uh, to a lesser extent this year than what we saw last year obviously when they took Kyler Murray and had the number one overall pick but they still have a pretty big decision to make at number eight a lot of that decision may be made for them based on the players that are picked uh, ahead of them but um, we'll start there we'll start with uh, there's a story out it's not really any one specific story it's just sort of a vibe going on here as we enter draft week that Tua might be seeing his draft stock fall pretty rapidly. And it was Mike Tannenbaum, actually, the former Dolphins and Jets general manager now in the media, who pointed out, and he's not the only one to come up with this, but he, he certainly pointed out the reason. Tua is is really going to be, in a lot of ways, I think the, the, the poster boy of this draft. And this offseason in the NFL, Cam Newton's right there as well, right? I mean, Cam Newton can't get a team because teams can't, they can't test him. They can't figure out how healthy he is going into next season. And if you're going to, if you're going to add Cam Newton to your NFL roster, you're probably adding him to be your starting quarterback, right? You're not adding him to be a backup. So if you're adding Cam Newton, well, you need to know that he is healthy enough to be your guy from week one. And even if he isn't, even if you still want him, and you're not going to have him until week three or whatever, you need to know that. But because of everything that's going on in the world and the fact that teams can't have their own doctors test these players, we can sit here, and, and I've sat here and said it. You know, you have to find a way around it for free agency and for trades and for the draft if you're an NFL GM or if you're an NFL team. You have to find a way around it because things just aren't going to be perfect right now with the way things are in the world. And if you want your sport to go on, and potentially stay on schedule like the NFL could, you got to find a way around it. For the most part, I think teams can do that, but there are a couple players that stand out, Cam Newton probably being the biggest name player that has already established himself in this league, but if you're just looking specifically at this draft, seven months ago, Tua was the number one pick. He was the number one pick going into last college football season. I went back and looked, and there were already articles in August of last year which NFL team should be tanking for Tua heading into the, the 2019 season? You can find them. They're on the internet. It's not that hard. Now, the way the season played out, and with Joe Burrow doing what he did, Burrow moves into number one. I, I, we're all going to be pretty shocked if Cincinnati doesn't take him number one overall. Okay, that's fine. Tua gets hurt and drops. Okay, I mean... The cynic in me sees him dropping to just the point where the Patriots can trade up and get him, and then we're all going to hate ourselves for the next 15 years. So Tua drops a little bit because of the injury. Okay, that makes sense. But then you get into this offseason where teams can't test these guys, and they can't get a you know can't meet them face-to-face. You just can't get nearly as good of a read 
on the guy you're drafting, but especially when it when it comes to an injury, that is a that's a particularly big deal. That's why I think Tua is the poster child of this particular offseason in this draft. There are a lot of teams that pick in the top 10 that need a quarterback. Are they going to be willing? And this is where Mike Tannenbaum made his points that I referenced before. Are teams going to be willing to use the number five overall pick on a guy that could be damaged good? Like, you're never going to know 100% every year. You have the possibility of, oh, we're going to draft this guy. He had an injury last year, but, you know, he's our scouts love him. And, and look at the, look at what he's put on tape over a couple of years in college. This is our guy we're going to build around a defensive end or something. Or, oh, this guy, we're gonna, we still like him as a running back here in the second or third round. Well, you're talking about a quarterback that has the talent to go in the top five. But you're also talking about an injury that was pretty nasty. Now, by all accounts, he's going to be good. But... Yeah, if I was an NFL GM, if I was the Miami Dolphins, I'm sitting there at five, and I'm like, well, I mean, I want Tua, but can I afford to use the number five overall pick on a guy that might not be able to play or might be able to play, but his career is not going to be as long because of this injury? Now, yeah, we've been assured as fans and media, that that's not the case, and, and Tua will be good to go. But if you're a team, if, if this is if this is a, a position where, like, yeah, you screw up this pick and you lose your job and you set your team back a few years, just being given reassurances by, like, a player's agent or whatever that a guy's going to be good, that's not enough. He's going to define this draft. And, and in a way, he could impact the Cardinals, too. Obviously, Arizona's not going to take him. But... If you're the Cardinals, and it's nice to be in this position, finally, you've got your franchise quarterback, so all of a sudden you just want all those teams in front of you. You want as many quarterbacks to go in the top seven as possible. Peter King has his mock draft out today, and he doesn't have Tua going in the top ten, actually. He hasn't dropping. He has Detroit trading with Miami. Miami gets the third pick. Miami takes Justin Herbert. They don't take Tua. Tua drops all the way to 13. The 49ers trade that pick, which I don't see happening because they can get the receiver that they so sorely need. They can get that receiver at 13 almost certainly. So I don't necessarily agree that the 49ers are going to trade that pick, although they've said they're willing. But in Peter King's mock, he has the 49ers trading that pick to the Patriots and the Patriots getting Tua at 13. Even if it doesn't work out. Even if that ends up being a horrible bust of a pick over the next five years. If that happens on draft night, you know you're going to have a sinking feeling in your stomach. Tua was supposed to be the number one overall pick going into this past season, and it's not like he played bad. He got hurt, and Joe Burrow was great. He ends up on the Patriots the year they move on from Tom Brady. Tell me you're not going to be a little bit nervous on draft night if that happens. But the other angle here like I said, is where he goes, not necessarily which team he goes to, but where he goes in the draft could greatly impact the Cardinals because in Peter King's mock, he actually has the Cardinals getting Isaiah Simmons at eight. I mean, I've seen mock drafts where Simmons is going like two. Uh, There's ESPN had their rankings out last week of just ranking the players, not not a mock draft, not where each guy's going to go, but just who's the best player. Who's the second best player all the way down to like 100? They had Isaiah Simmons in the top two. I can't imagine he's going to be there at eight for the Cardinals. 
if he is, well, to me, that means Burrow and Justin Herbert and Tua all go in the top seven. If Chase Young goes, um, (laughs) even then, I don't see how Isaiah Simmons is going to drop. I can tell you here what Peter King has, because King doesn't have three quarterbacks in the top seven. He only has two, obviously. But he has Burrow going one, Chase Young going two. Like I said, Herbert going to Miami at three after a trade. Tristan Wirth to the Giants at four. Jeff Okuda to Detroit at five. Okuda's probably a top seven pick. Andrew Thomas to the Chargers at six. Maybe you don't think Andrew Thomas is going in the top seven, but let's just say the Chargers are willing to take that flyer on Tua at six. And, yeah, that sets things up where Carolina takes Derek Brown. And, again, if I'm Carolina, I'm taking Isaiah Simmons. But it's that's feasible. And all of a sudden, the Cardinals get Simmons at eight. Tua's draft stock falling, if that proves to be the case, if this isn't just a smokescreen ahead of the draft, if his stock actually does fall and he drops out of the top seven, that hurts the Cardinals. It may not hurt them much. They may still be able to get the player they want, ultimately. But if you're the Cardinals, you want Tua going in the top seven. You want realistically only three. I mean, there's not going to be four quarterbacks going in the top seven, but you want you want all three of those guys, if at all possible, going in the top seven. Now, this takes us to the other angle here. There's, there's quite a few angles, actually, to talk about with the Cardinals draft, and we'll do that certainly tomorrow and Wednesday leading up to the, uh, the first round on Thursday. Touched on this a little bit last week, though, and just from talking to a few people around the game, talked to Wolf actually extensively about this this morning, and I don't think he has hidden his feelings that He's, uh, he's real interested in the Cardinals taking Henry Ruggs III with that eighth pick if they can. Obviously, going receiver is the most exciting move, right, for the Cardinals. Last year, going Kyler was the most exciting move. Taking a franchise quarterback number one overall, and he's an exciting player. That was the most exciting move. Turned out to be the right move, too. On first glance, taking a receiver with the eighth pick this year, it doesn't seem like the, the prudent move. It would be the most exciting, though. Okay, we take, let's say they take Henry Ruggs III. And you're going into next season with Ruggs, Christian Kirk, Larry Fitzgerald, DeAndre Hopkins as your receivers. That's pretty awesome. That's, that's fun. That's one of the most entertaining offenses in the NFL. Even if you're not a Cardinals fan, you're going to want to watch that offense. But can you make that pick just because it's fun? And look, I mean, it'll help your offense. Like, if you have an offense that's scoring a bunch of points every week and teams don't know who to cover, and specifically with the Ruggs example, he can take the top off your defense, and all of a sudden that gives guys like Larry Fitzgerald and certainly DeAndre Hopkins room to roam underneath, and then what are you supposed to do if you're a defense? You're stretched all over the field. And, oh, by the way, Christian Kirk is there as well. He's not getting traded to Dallas. I'm not totally sure where that rumor came from. So certainly in the moment, that's just a fun pick. And it does make you a little bit better. But the only reason it only makes you a little bit better is because, well, your defense is still missing pieces. Or your offensive line could have been better. You really need to spend that pick on a receiver. Here's the two things. You've got Larry Fitzgerald this upcoming season. You may have him longer, but all you know is you have him this upcoming season. You've got Christian Kirk this season and next season. Still very early in his career. He's played two years. We like what we think he can be. We haven't seen him put it together for a full 16 games, but there's been injuries. And there's been Mike McCoy's offense, which is probably worse than an injury in terms of production for some of these guys. You've got DeAndre Hopkins for at least three years. So you can make a very 
strong case that taking C.D. Lamb or Ruggs or Jerry Judy, whoever you like, if they're there, is actually a smart move. It may seem like a luxury this season. It's almost like you've already got two cars. Do you really need a third nice car? No, probably not. Unless you have kids that are about to go to college next year and they're going to take your two cars. Well, then all of a sudden you do need a car. And that's where this can go from not being just a luxury. It can actually be an intelligent move. Maybe this is me just trying to justify it because it'd be a lot of fun to watch this team. But it's possible going into the 2021 season, you have DeAndre Hopkins at receiver and then Christian Kirk. So you're going to need a receiver next year. So that's why it's at least possible to justify taking one of those guys at number eight. It also leads into what I think the Cardinals truly want to do, and that is trade down. Not trade down too far, but if you could trade down to like 12 or 14, pick up a second round pick, then all of a sudden you can either you can either go offensive line at 12, maybe Thomas is there, or Mekhi Becton or whoever, and then you can still probably get a Justin Jefferson or a Brandon Ayuk, or maybe those guys are both gone by the second round, but you can get a good receiver in the second round if you want to do that. To me, I think the ideal move for the Cardinals, well, the ideal move is Isaiah Simmons is there at eight, and this is all irrelevant. But the other, maybe more realistic ideal move for the Cardinals is you drop down to like 12 you take one of these receivers you might not have your pick at 12 but you should still get one of the the main three with Ruggs, Lamb or, or Jerry Judy you take one of those receivers there that you believe can be a really good receiver this year learning under DeAndre Hopkins and Larry Fitzgerald can eventually be your number two receiver and maybe, you know, four years down the line, even be your number one receiver. That, that's what hope for, because this is a, a top 10 or maybe top 15 if you make the trade pick. But in trading down to 12 or 14 or whatever, the reason I don't say 13 is there's no way the 49ers would make that trade with the Cardinals. But if you could do that and get a second-round pick, okay, then you can address the defense a little bit in the second round or the offensive line or wherever you feel like there's a hole. Had a story up on ArizonaSports.com last week, and I thought this was a pretty compelling point. Cardinals have addressed a lot of the holes on defense. Now, whether you feel like they've addressed them in, a, in an, an adequate enough way where they are a playoff team, okay, you know, you go out there and you get Devon Kennard and Jordan Phillips and Devondre Campbell, but if you could draft Isaiah Simmons, he's going to go right to the head of that group. I get that. But it's, it's not like this is the exact same defense they ran out there last year. It's year two under Vance Joseph. You have added three pretty key pieces. You're going to have Patrick Peterson from week one. He seems a lot more, maybe not motivated, but just happy to be here, which can lead to, to motivation. This defense should be better than last year's, even if they start if they started playing tomorrow. This defense should be better than last year's. You're going to add pieces during the draft. If you add a first-rounder, well, then it should be noticeably better than last year. I'm just saying they've filled holes on defense. Maybe they haven't filled them all uh, to everybody's liking, and I get that. You know, there's, there, there probably are better pieces in the draft, even in the second round, if you can get a second-round pick. But it's not like they did nothing to the defense. It's not like if you take a receiver at eight, your defense is the exact same group that, that was out there last year. That's just not the case. All right, real quick here before we wrap up the show today, have to at least mention The Last Dance. Premiered last night 
on ESPN, 6.1 million viewers per hour. They did episodes one and two out of ten last night. Easily the most watched documentary in ESPN history. Uh, the 30 for 30 of Bo Jackson, you don't know Bo, drew 3.6 million. Again, last night, 6.1 million average per hour. I thought it was outstanding. I have yet to talk to anybody that didn't like it. And pretty much everybody I know that follows sports at all watched it. It was, it was like appointment viewing. We haven't had appointment viewing in years. It was weird sitting there watching it as it happened and then watching commercials because generally speaking, we just watch stuff on Netflix or Hulu or we watch something that we record and we go back and watch it later and we just fast forward through the commercials or you don't even have commercials. That was weird to watch it with commercials last night, but I like the way they're doing it. If, if you were going to watch it, but you, you didn't get to watch it last night for whatever reason, my one concern going into this was their focus. They have all this unseen footage from the 97-98 season. My one concern was that they were going to go so heavy on that. Do we really need 10 episodes just on that one season? We've got a lot of personalities on that team. Scotty Pippen, Michael Jordan, Dennis Rodman alone. There's <laughs> You can do a couple hours on each of those guys. But my one concern was that they were just going to go too heavy on just that one year. I like what they've been doing so far through the first two episodes. They essentially are telling the story of the 97-98 season for, I don't know, half of each episode. But the other half... They are working their way up the timeline. They're starting with essentially Jordan's freshman year at, at North Carolina and just working their way up. And what, by the end of episode two, they were about through 1986. You have to do that. There's so much drama and stories to be told in those previous five Bulls titles as well. So I just, I like that they are doing that. They're balancing it. You know, it's, it's all told through the lens of the 97-98 season, but they're building up all the drama and just giving you all the context getting to that point. Like I said last week, you know, I, I, I don't necessarily remember fully appreciating Jordan in his prime. I, mean, I was a kid when he was, when he was at his, his true, true greatness. Like you knew he was great and everybody said he was the greatest, but now I've seen a lot more basketball since then. I've seen a lot of great players. I have more context now for how, just how amazing Michael Jordan was. And so now it's kind of cool to go back and see the story told. And the other thing is Jordan just, he doesn't talk a whole lot. So to have interviews from him and, and, and his perspective on these things that happened, and there are some stories in there that just, it, it's the weirdest thing. Like there's stories in there that I just don't feel like really are told that much. And we have a 24-7 sports news cycle all across this country, right? And how many times do we talk about, how many times did we talk about Johnny Manziel. People just accept that Michael Jordan's the greatest player of all time, or if you're a big LeBron fan, you say Jordan's right. He's, he's even with LeBron, I guess. But there are so many stories about those Bulls teams that they didn't just happen three years ago. But it's not like they happened 100 years ago either that don't really get told as much as they should because it probably was the greatest team in sports history. It certainly was the greatest team in basketball history, it seems like. So far, so good with ESPN on The Last Dance. And it was, it's pretty cool that it basically was appointment viewing for everybody. And I know it's because we don't have any other sports. I get that. But this was going to be a pretty highly rated show, even if we did have sports. Because it was originally going to air in the summer, right? So the NBA Finals would have been done. You know, maybe the first two episodes would have been, I don't know, 4 million viewers. I still think it would have outdrawn any other documentary on ESPN. But I think after the first two episodes, we were going to see a huge spike 
in the second weekend when they showed episodes three and four, even if sports were going on. Now with no sports, I mean, <laughs> we've been building this up for a while, and it didn't disappoint. I'm looking forward to the rest of the series, and I think a lot of people are. All right, it's going to do it for us. We'll be right back at it tomorrow. A lot more NFL draft tomorrow, certainly. Thanks to Michaela Perkins for producing. Thanks to you for listening. I'm Luke Lipinski. This has been The Rundown on ArizonaSports.com.